Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Y'all ready to dive into the word? Say yeah. yeah. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're back in this series called Following Jesus. Following Jesus. Walking through chapter 7 of the book of Luke, looking at the life of the people who encountered Jesus, the way that Jesus encounters them, and how their relationship changes through that encounter. And today, we pick up where I kind of left off two weeks ago, talking about John the Baptist. <coughs> I got a cold from a kid in my Hebrew class. I'm salty about it. Thank you. We left off a couple weeks ago talking about John the Baptist and and how he had been imprisoned and how he had seemed to start losing his faith. He was doubting whether this Jesus whom he had pointed the way for was really Jesus. And he had sent his, his disciples to go inquire of Jesus saying, are you really him? And Jesus answering them in front of the crowds began to illuminate all that Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't have to answer with a word. He answered with his actions. Amen. And today we pick up right at that moment after the disciples, having seen the evidence of who Jesus was, was, had returned back to John the Baptist in prison to give a good report as if to say, it's him. It's really him. And we pick up here as Jesus would turn his conversation to all of the crowd who had witnessed his conversation with John's disciples. It says this in verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and those who live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than that, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, including the tax collectors, they declared that God was just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The title of our message today is Who's the Boss? Who's the Boss? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for this word, and we thank you that you have already prepared our hearts and our minds to receive fresh from you. God, I ask that today you'd be amongst us, that you'd remove me from the conversation, that you'd speak what you want to speak in the way that you want to speak it. Amen. Amen. Do y'all know the show, Who's the Boss? Am Am I too old for us? Tony Danza? Tony Danza played the roughneck from New York City who came out to the Connecticut aristocracy, the neighborhood he didn't belong in, to serve as a housekeeper for Miss Angela and her mom, Mona. Am I, am I, are y'all tracking with me? Every time it would come on on a Wednesday night, there's a path you take and a path not taken. The choice is up to you, my friend. And I was a little kid, I was like, nights are long, but you might awaken to a brand new life. 
My parents thought I was crazy, man. I loved that show. Here's why I love that show. Not just for Alyssa Milano. Come on, somebody. Dark hair, dark eyes. Got a wife. Just like it. Come on now. You like what you like. That's it. You just like what you like. I like that show because I loved Tony Danza. I thought he was so cool. He was... He was from like, you know, New York. He was like tough guy, like New York slang. And like, he was kind of rough around the edges. And like, you know, he didn't always have the right like uh, understanding of social couth or know what to say in the right moments. But he always did what was right. Yeah. It was so interesting, right? I mean, he, he would be around Mona, the mother character, the matriarch, and she was just plain rotten. That lady was sinful all the way to her bones, right? And there would be Tony, the guy who would be perceived as perhaps corrupted because he came from the wrong side of the tracks, but he ended up being the moral compass. And that's the whole story of the show. It's like how someone who doesn't look like it is really the one who's got it. And the whole show centered around these moments of conflict where, you know, the rich and the wealthy, the perceived as as well off would, would be counseled by the one who was considered to be lonely. I loved that show. I never knew then that it would be like literally core to who I am and what I believe about the body of Christ. That's why we started this church. We started this church by saying it was going to be a place for broken pieces because I just plain believe in broken people. I mean, I just have an affinity for them. If you get to spend any time with me and my family, you'll see that I'm more attracted to people who are messing up than I am to people who got it all together. I just like to be around them. And I think the reason is because I, I feel so close to my own seasons of failure. And I just know what beautiful potential God brings from really broken things. It's like his specialty. It's as if the creator of the universe, it's like his preferred medium is chaos. And from chaos, he creates beauty. If you think about the creation story, that's exactly how it worked. He worked with just a muddled mess of raging seas that everyone else would turn their back on. But God saw in it what it didn't see in himself. And that's kind of the conversation that we're having here today. I love that Jesus does what he does in this moment. He frames this conversation for his audience. It's one of the things I like about Jesus is he doesn't mind having hard conversations in intimate one-on-one encounters, but he also doesn't mind turning to a whole crowd and laying it down. Like this is exactly what you need to understand about this moment right here. And that's what he does. You have to understand the disciples of John come to see Jesus and if you can imagine, they're sheepish because, sheepish because the one they follow, who follows Jesus, has begun to doubt whether or not this whole thing is real. And so they have to come to Jesus and ask, is this, is this real? And Jesus gives them everything they need to know that it's real. And they leave. And Jesus turns to the multitude And he frames the conversation. He narrates what just happened for them so they don't miss it. Because don't you know that we have a tendency to miss it? Don't you know that most of us, left to our own devices, will misjudge nearly every circumstance? Have you ever been offended by someone and turned out they weren't rude to you? You You ever read a text? I know you've done this. You've read a text message and just been like, well, fine. And it was just a thumbs up. 
Isn't it weird how we, we fail sometimes to see context or, or subtext in things? We read in our own understandings and we miss it all the time. Jesus recognizes that. To the people who are with him, he's like, he, I'm sure he turns and sees them. And some of them are like, see, John's already lost faith. I know he sees that in them. And he's like, all right, hold on. Let's have a conversation. And what he's doing in this moment is he's trying to use this encounter to bring forth an eternal revelation about the way that the whole kingdom of God is, is created. The first thing he says is he begins to instruct them about John's position. And he's essentially saying from the most unlikely of places. He's talking about where John is from, okay? And, 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 and he's addressing the elephant in the room, which is that, yes, I know John is in prison. And yes, you know that John has struggled with doubt but let's really consider for a moment where he's from. John lives in the desert. And if you don't know this about John the Baptist, you should understand John the Baptist was called early. He was overly zealous. If you watch the show, The Chosen, they paint a really good picture of John the Baptist. Like so abrasive and crazy for Jesus that even you and I would be like, that is a little too much. And because he's so serious about God, he ends up kind of ostracizing himself from the normative culture because he's got bigger interests in mind. And so the Bible tells us, as we learn about the story of John, that he lives in the wilderness, that he wears fur, unkempt, his hair is long, his beard is long, he eats bugs, right? We talked about this. He eats bugs, and I don't want you to miss it because I'll say it one more time. He eats bugs. And I don't mean like he deep fries them and dips them in chocolate. I mean like primary source of protein, bugs. And because he lives in the wilderness, he's got this big beard, crazy hair, and bug guts all over the place. You see it? And Jesus says, (laughs) you you guys are confused that he was in doubt? What did y'all go out to see? Did, did you think that you would go out to see somebody who was polished? Did you think that he was going to be in fine linen? Did, did you think that the guy in prison who's boldly speaking the truth of what's next to come, whom is seen as such a threat by Rome, would be one who would fit in with Rome? No. Jesus in this moment is trying to paint a picture for us, for us, hear it for us. That is to say that when you really get serious about God, you should start not looking like the world around you. Now, I'm not telling you to eat bugs, but I am telling you to stand out. I am telling you that at your job and in your friend group and at your school and in everywhere you go, including at your neighbor's house for the barbecue this weekend, they should notice that there's something different about you. Peculiar people, that's who you are. Royal priesthood, a chosen nation. The world should see you and be confronted by the truth that lives in you. Hear me. Now, I'm also not telling you to be rude. Come on now. That is not a good witness, right? If most of the time your conversations around your faith include your fingers sticking out, that is not a good witness. Finger pointing up, good. Finger pointed in, good. I once was a wretch undone. I was lost, but now I see. That's good witness. But there has to be something unique about you that makes people say there's something unique about you. 
And so Jesus is talking about John's natural circumstance. He's saying he's not a reed shaken by the wind. He's not a man who's moved by culture, moved by moments, moved by the norms of society of the time. That's not him. He doesn't blow back and forth as the waves of culture say what they want to say. He's not a man dressed in fine linen because he cares not for the things of this world. He does not define himself by his shoes, his clothes, his car, his status. He does not care about what this world cares about. Did you go out to see somebody like that? You're going to miss it. When I tell you that we're building something brand new in here, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic. No, sir. Like I'm telling you, like we're building a church that doesn't really care what it looks like. We care about who we're looking at. Yeah. Come on now. There are many, many beautiful churches, but we're looking at a beautiful savior. Yeah. And I want you to be a part of this because um, here's the secret, ready? We can see him. Like we can see him. Like there's people in this church that like when they talk about Jesus, ooh, my spirit leaves. When they talk about the way that they've been walking with the Lord and how much he loves them and how he's rescued them and what he's brought them out of, there's something in me that's just like, I'm home. I love being around you. Jesus is saying, John is not like this world. He didn't come to preach a polished message. He came to tell the truth because people are desperate for the truth because the truth gives life, because the truth shall set you free. And it's a picture of what's good about unlikely places. It's a picture of how possible it is for you and I to come from circumstances that may not be ideal and yet still be convinced about the ideal that is Jesus on the throne of our life. And it's a push for you and I to look at our own circumstance and ask ourselves two questions. Have I let my origin story overcome my destination story? Can I ask you that today? Have you let the narrative that you tell yourself about where you grew up and how your family was and what you've been through be louder than the story that says, but there's a God who lives in me and I'm more than an overcomer and one day I shall see him and when I see him, I'll be like him. Which story is louder, amen? I'm telling you, you know the answer, but the second story is the louder story. You should be able to use your past to inform the way in which you chase after Jesus, but you should be chasing after Jesus. I don't want to say this. You should be narrating the story as you go. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm awfully transparent. I believe oftentimes to a fault. Sometimes I think, (laughs) sometimes I think I share stuff at church and I'm driving home and I'm like, why? I don't, they don't need that. What a weirdo. You ever do that? You ever just be like open with somebody and you're like, why am I talking still? Have you ever been talking and thought that? Why are you still talking? Your mouth just won't. I err on the side of transparency. But I believe that authenticity is valuable. I actually believe that if I show you where I'm weak and if we get to continue to walk, and I overcome, you will get to know that it was not me who overcame, but he who lives in me. I believe there's beauty in us being honest with the world around us so that they know that we're chasing after God and we don't have the answers, but he has the answers. That's why we're going that way. I think too many of us get real good at being real good. And I wish I could tell you that you fool your pastor, but you do not. I see you on Sunday and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? I'm really good, thank you. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? I wanna tell you that you're not as good as faking the funk as, as 
as you think you are. And you don't need to, certainly not here, certainly not in front of other people who are desperate to know the one whom you put your trust in. Jesus is trying to illuminate for us what it looks like to be just out there with your faith, faith open and honest. What did you go to see? Somebody perfect? Guess what? There is not one good. No, not one. But if you went to see a prophet, well, then you saw one. Verse 27, Jesus changes it, and he says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face who will prepare your way before you. What he's doing is saying, From the most unlikely, from the most unusual places come the most powerful saints. Jesus in this moment is about to break what he's been talking about to this crowd. He said, I know you thought you were looking at one thing, but he's come from a different side of the tracks. He's, he's, he's peculiar and he's strange and he doesn't always fit in, and that's just the way I like him because let me tell you how God uses people who are different he goes through this little phrase quoting scripture about how good John is with qualifications that have nothing to do with John what he's doing in this moment he's he's quoting Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3 a prophetic word about a prophet it's the only time in the Bible that a prophet has been prophesied And he's saying in this moment, don't y'all think John is weird? And they're like, yeah, John's pretty weird. And he's like, yeah, but he's the real deal. And I just, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. That just gets my goat. I just love that. I love that Jesus is like, isn't he strange? And everybody's like, yes, he is strange. And Jesus is like, he's God's favorite. And everybody's like, I am so confused. I don't know. I think that's like the whole crux of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 and 6, he shows up, big crowd, big moment, everybody's there. We're going to figure out this guy's got the real juice, and he walks right out with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, and everybody's like, what is going on here, right? Blessed are the meek. What? Blessed are you when you suffer. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. What he's saying is blessings from God, his favor falls down onto those who are least I wish I could have been there. Don't you wish you could have been there when people are like, what is happening? I don't like this. This is weird. They thought he was going to give them classic rabbinic teaching about earning your way to the top. And he says, stay low, get low, stay low, get low. Jesus comes down. That's the whole story. He says, I sit high and come down to love so that I can raise up. He says, y'all thought he was weird, right? Yeah. Well, he's the only prophet that's ever been prophesied about. Luke describes him as, as having preached with the power of Elijah. And it wouldn't have been lost on them in the moment, but John is the first prophet that breaks 430 years of prophetic silence amongst the nation of Israel. You see, since the voice of Malachi, there had been no one raised up by God to speak on behalf of God, to cast direction for the people of God such that they might be redeemed back to God. They had been suffering in silence. And here comes John, John, bug-eating John. (laughs) Now you see why they would have rejected him. No, we need, we need, we need somebody. Oh, here it is, ready? We need like a real leader. And there's John, 
And they're like, no, it ain't him. Have you ever been overlooked? <laughs> you ever been next in line for something? And you were sure it was you. Hey. And you were like, this is it, man. I've been working. Yeah. I've been waiting. It's my day. You ever show up to that day dressed as best you can and you finally got a good outfit day and a good hair day in the same day? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, here it is. And you arrive and then someone else gets what you thought was yours. You ever been rejected? You ever been dumped by someone who's not as pretty as you are? Come on, somebody. <laughs> you're like, her, 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 her. <laughs> That's not in my notes, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just be frustrated, right? You're just like, I don't get it. It's me. John is there, and he is preaching power. He is preaching repentance. And the only people that dig it are the people who are desperate. And that's not an accident. This is it, ready? The only people who can dig this whole thing Jesus is laying down is the ones who are desperate. Lots of the people in this world don't understand the ways of Jesus because they already got a good old-fashioned God and their power, their money, their prestige. And so, through 430 years of prophetic silence, God chooses to send the weirdest person possible such that he would only attract those who are truly desperate for the presence and the power of God. He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's meant to flip things over. Isn't that good? Oh, I hope that's encouraging to you. Especially if you feel like your life is sometimes upside down. Especially if you feel like you're just kind of out of place. Especially if you're an introvert. And the pastor's like, you need to come every week. And you're like, come on, no. <laughs> Especially if you just feel like everywhere you go, you just don't fit in. Like, I want to, but I just don't know how. I want to make friends, but I just can't seem to connect. I just always feel like I'm outside. And I want to tell you today that God chooses the outsiders to pull other outsiders to the inside of his loving arms. This is it. Jesus doesn't walk into the in crowd. Come on, somebody. They said, could any good come from Nazareth? Why? Because Nazareth was, Nazareth was small and left out and poor and forgotten and worthless. Jesus didn't show up in Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't born in Rome. Jesus wasn't born in the in crowd. Jesus was born amongst the misfits, amongst the broken pieces, amongst the people who didn't fit in. And he stood up so that we could go, I can stand up. That's the point of the whole gospel. He picks unlikely people from unlikely places to make forth powerful saints that even the weakest among us would say there's hope for me too. Amen. And then he does something at the end of this conversation. He says, you know, I got to be honest with you. If you went out to see a prophet, you got him. He's the best there's ever been. This hyperbolic statement that you could discount if it was a mere man who said it, but it was Jesus, which makes it absolutely plain true. He says, truly, I tell you this, of anyone born of a woman, none is greater than John. 
He's saying in this moment, of all the men that have ever been created, born of father and mother, of natural birth, born under the line of Adam, John stands alone. He is the, ready? He's the best. He's the boss. He's the number one. Can you imagine that? I always wish in this story that the disciples had not left. John's disciples, right? I wish they were, I'm hoping in my mind, I'll, I have so many questions for Jesus when I get up there, but I'm hoping that as they were walking, they heard this part. Yeah. I wish that, that John's disciples had heard Jesus say, gotta tell you the truth, man, ain't nobody like John. Nobody loves our God like John loves our God. He is the greatest there ever has been. And then he says, but, let me tell you who's even better than John. What he's doing right now, very end of this conversation, the end of 28, he's saying, I hope I've painted a picture for you that from lowly places come great saints, from unlikely circumstances come people used to great effect by God. What I'm trying, Jesus is trying to say in that moment is the way that it works in the kingdom is the least is always the greatest. Always. He says, truly, I tell you, of all those born of a woman, none is greater than John. But verse 28, he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And what he's talking about is this kingdom that Jesus has ushered in. You see, John has prophesied Jesus is coming as the Messiah, but John will soon die, which means he will die before Jesus dies before Jesus is resurrected, before Jesus' grace and his loving mercy and the trust and faith that we can put in him brings forth rebirth, regeneration, brings forth being born again. The same lesson that Jesus taught to Nicodemus that said, lest you be born again. The born again does not happen for John because John dies first. Amen? You tracking with me? John stays born of a woman. And Jesus says, but there is a day coming soon and very soon where each one of you will be afforded the opportunity to put your trust in me and to be born in a new kingdom, no longer from the line of the first Adam, but now blood bought by the line of the second Adam, that's Jesus Christ. And he says, and here's the good news, of all the men that ever lived, John's the best. But if one of you says yes to me, even the worst of you, still greater than John. Now, I hope that does something for you because I wanted to paint the majesty of what it's going to look like when John walks into heaven. Now, picture this, okay? Because we're going to get to see this. John's going to stroll into heaven and there's going to be Adam and Noah. His name means rest. And Abraham, the father of the nations. And Isaac, his name means laughter. And Jacob, who wrestled hand in hand with God, who had his name changed to Israel. And Joseph, who, who was the wisdom figure, a picture of God's love, who preserved for us a remnant. There will be giants of the faith from the beginning of time. Isaiah will be there. Jeremiah will be there. Elijah will be there. Elisha will be there. The 12 elders of the church with their crowns being tossed before the throne will stand there. And they will all walk in, each one honored by God. And in comes the bug eater. Oh, I hope you can see it in your mind. 
All glory and all splendor are there. And each one of these men standing because of what they believed, the faith that they exemplified, the power and the glory of the Godhead in them before Jesus ever came. And John's going to come in eating grasshoppers. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? And the Father himself will say, stop. That is the greatest of all of you. Wait. And then comes you. Then comes you, you, you goofball, in all of your poor decisions and your mistakes and your doubt and your worry and your fear and the line of the lion of the tribe of Judah and every saint that has been there, even the apostle Paul who wrote all of this doctrine for us that helps us govern who we are and how we chase after Jesus, he'll be there. And here comes you uh, just bouncing around and God says, stop. Wait! And he looks to the son at his right hand and he says, does he belong to us? Is she ours? And Jesus says, I bought her with my own blood. She's all ours. And one day, when you live in eternity, I believe one day each one of us is gonna get our own opportunity to go meet God face to face. And he's gonna stop everything. Jesus is gonna find you playing with a lion or something. I sometimes share with you what I wanna do in heaven, amen. And he's gonna usher you up to the Father. And you're gonna be nervous, amen. You'll be replaying all the dumb stuff you did in college. And you will stand before the throne with your hand in Jesus' hand. Are you sure? Jesus is gonna say, I'm, I'm sure. And the white hot light of the Father of God will envelop you and you will hear these words. Ready? The least in the kingdom is still greater than John. And no matter how bad you think you are, you will still, if you are blood-bought and born again, get to hear this word. Well done. Welcome to your reward. Well done. Welcome home. You belong here. Go show Isaiah how it's done. Okay. Go talk to David. Go meet your peers. And this is what this is meant to, to explain to us today. I want you to see this picture, okay? Hmm. I know that the enemy attacks you. You guys can come on up. I know that the enemy fights you to try to tell you that this thing isn't for you. I know that when you make your mistakes, when you fall down, when you lose your doubt, when you're gone for a season and you walk back and the enemy is chirping in your ear to try to tell you that you don't fit, that you don't believe, that it's not real and that it's not for you. I know that when that happens, it easily pulls you away from the throne of grace. But I want to tell you here today, here and now, with all certainty, I know this beyond the shadow of a doubt because it's true for my own life, is that you belong here. You belong in heaven. When he's called you by your name and bought you with his blood, you belong. And even John will look at you and go, now that's how it's done. This reward is available for everyone in this room. 
from now until eternity for each one who is born of the kingdom of God. That means for those of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Does it mean I have it all together? (laughs) Nope, thank God. It means that I'm laying my life into the one who has it all together. Now as a church, we believe that salvation is real and sanctification is real and at a process. But what I'm not gonna do is pray a prayer. Sometimes we do this, but today we're not. I'm not gonna pray a prayer that you repeat after me and hope it's finished because it ain't finished right there, it just began. Today, as this word is noodled in your heart and pricked you, I'm asking that you leave this place and you have a real conversation with God. You don't repeat after me. You speak from your heart to his. You let him know if you want it. You let him know you need him. You give him complete permission to clean out what no longer belongs. Amen? Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with Lead Pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!